Transforming Society podcast is brought to you by Bristol University Press and Policy Press. In episodes covering a wide range of social issues, we speak to authors and editors about their books and journals to get to grips with the story their research tells and look at specific ways in which it could transform society for the better. I'm Jess Miles, and in this episode, my co-presenter Richard Kemp speaks to Dan McQuillan about his book, Resisting AI. What is artificial intelligence really? How does it erode our autonomy and perpetuate injustice? And how can we change it so that it works for the benefit of everyone? More information about Dan's book is available from our website, bristoluniversitypress.co.uk. We all live with some form of artificial intelligence in our daily lives. For many of us, this means search engines, GPS navigation, next day delivery, and the personalized recommendations of Netflix, Disney Plus, Amazon Prime. For others, AI means the removal of dignity, of livelihoods, and sometimes even lives. In his new book, Resisting AI, an Anti-Fascist Approach to Artificial Intelligence, Dan McQuillan, lecturer in creative and social computing at Goldsmiths, calls for a total restructuring of AI. He argues that it causes damage to society in ways that cannot be reversed with easy, quick fixes, that it needs to be structurally undone and rebuilt from the foundation. Dan proposes an anti-fascist approach to AI that flips the focus from exclusion and violence to community, caring, and freedom. Dan McQuillan, thank you so much for coming on the Transforming Society podcast. Yeah, very glad to be here. And uh, thanks so much for sweating it out in this uh, unbelievable heat wave we're having. It's really cooking in London. (laughs) So uh, let's uh, let's get get right into the book, if that's okay with you. For sure. So your book is about how to take an anti-fascist approach to AI. Uh, at the top of the episode there, I just mentioned some forms of artificial intelligence, uh, such as, uh, but there are other ones, uh, machine learning, nanorobotics, smart watches, smart homes, self-driving cars. AI has connected us globally in ways that anyone born before the year 2000, like myself, couldn't even have imagined. Could you explain what you're referring to in your book when you talk about artificial intelligence? And how can something so revolutionary connecting need an anti-fascist resistance? Okay, um, well, I'll start with the first one, but what do I mean by AI, which is a pretty big question, because AI has a long history, you know, pretty much since right. uh, the Second World War. Um, oh, so okay. there's been lots of kinds of AI, uh, and actually the kind that's really big now, which is sometimes called connectionist AI, it's the neural network stuff. And uh, the first working neural network was built in about 1948. So this stuff's got a long oh, history. Wow. Yeah, okay. indeed. Yeah, you would you would never guess, actually. No. Um, but for most of that time, it didn't mean that. It meant much more what we might think of as AI, what I think most people would think of, especially from movies and so forth, which is something that actually thinks. A lot of the time, mm-hmm. people building AI want to say, okay, how is it that people think? How does uh, human intelligence operate? How can we embed that in some kind of computer or computational operation? Mm-hmm. And actually, the stuff that's happening right now is really uh, taken over in the last really the last decade, and it's the resurgence of that stuff from a long time ago, which doesn't try to imitate how people think, it tries to imitate how brains work. So that's hence the neural networks. Um, and it was, a, it was a kind of computing that was very hard to do for a long time because it needs mm-hmm. a lot, a lot of computing power, mm-hmm. a lot of tiny, tiny calculations over and over and over again to make it work. And these neural networks are very deeply connected it's very very demanding and before it was useless basically because it just took <laughs> weeks it took weeks to train anything to do anything and by the time you trained it you know life had moved on <laughs> um, yeah so but but the, you know the, the, the connectivity you talked about you know the internet social media mm-hmm. all mm-hmm. the stuff that you know which you refer to pervades our everyday life this in a way was part of the fuel for the ai we now have which is really neural networks is deep mm-hmm. learning. This, this is this is the stuff of actual operating AI. Mm. Uh, that was that's partly been sort of fueled by uh, just all the data. Because another thing you need of AI, you don't just need a lot of computing power for this kind of AI. You need uh, really a ton of data. You know, it's it's kind of very it's it's an imitative process. It mm. learns to imitate, and it and it does so quite slowly in a way, right? It, it's it mm. just has to repeat and repeat and repeat and repeat. And to do that, it needs um almost unimaginable amounts of data which were wasn't there before mm-hmm. until along came the internet and then along came social media and lo and behold mm-hmm. uh, everybody was generating loads of data to act as the raw material 
for, right. for this new kind of AI. And it's this new kind of AI. So we had the takeoff. We had like 10, 10 12 years ago, suddenly uh, object recognition, image recognition, facial recognition mm-hmm. suddenly started to really work. You know, and then since, as you said, since that time, we've had, you know, self-driving cars. Okay, they're not on the roads yet, which is, mm-hmm. I think, a pretty good thing. And if I, <laughs> if I, you know, if there's ever self-driving cars in any city I'm in, I'm hoping to move. Um, <laughs> but, but they, they are uncanny, right? I mean, look at the, you know, they're an, they're an unimaginably clever technology in some right. way. Uh, you know, which, which, which and, and like a lot of this stuff is very impressive. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's only in the last decade. So, you, so you've had this self-driving cars, autonomous systems of various kinds, and now language. Language, right as we're speaking today, 2022, language is the big area of breakthrough with AI. It suddenly seems to have cracked, you know, human communication, Mm -hmm. understanding and reproducing language. So, yeah, you know, it's an incredible technical innovation. It's an incredibly disruptive and rapid rise of AI. Mm -hmm. It's shooting through the ecosystem. I mean, the... Examples you're talking about, so you know, sort of ranking algorithms and uh, you know, recommender algorithms on YouTube. I mean, that mm-hmm. was the it's the tip of the iceberg, and the stuff is everywhere and becoming everywhere in in everyday life. Um, so so that's really what I what I what I also mean by AI. Mm-hmm. If I mm-hmm. not to ramble on too long about Please it, do. But it's, well, yeah, thank you. <laughs> uh, be careful what you wish for. Uh, <laughs> you know, it's uh, it is this. It is this stuff. It's very specifically this stuff. It's this kind of computation that that takes a big pile of data and very laboriously, with um, with enough examples, works its way through to a sort of imitation, an imitation mm. of recognizing faces, imitation of driving, whatever. Right. It is. It is that. But it's also institutions. I mean, this stuff right. just doesn't do stuff by itself, right? Even Netflix mm. is an institution, right? But also the welfare system is an institution. The military. Mm. When this stuff has a particular uh, way of interacting with institutions and it also carries with it i would say and that's what i'm trying to write about in the book as well a set of social assumptions so you've got this kind of stack you've got an actual kind of computing you've got uh the ways it gets pushed into the world through actual institutions and organizations that have their own agendas of course, of course and right. then you've got the, the the sort of the the assumptions that is built on basically mm-hmm. and and so those things together make it make it very powerful. That's uh, that's um, yeah. Thank you so much for explaining all of that, Dan, and for um, kind of yeah, bringing it bringing it more to more to the focus of the the fact that these aren't yeah, sure, these are great uh, advancements, but also look at all these concerns that are popping up as a result of all these great advancements that are sometimes coming, coming kind of coming through the guise of uh, look at how we're gonna make your lives better, um, but all we all we need from you is uh, absolutely everything uh, from your entire uh, life. Just uh, plug it all in, please. <laughs> and, uh, definitely, definitely. Yeah. And, they're, and they're the visible bits, right? And we, we, we know that our lives are touched by AI in those ways. But that, sure. that sort of offer is also being made to, if you like, to other entities. Okay. Like it's saying, for example, to, uh, I, I think, a very significant um, thing that c- occurs alongside this sudden explosion of AI is mm. the fact that it occurred you know, in a period after 2008, in a period of austerity. Another offer for AI systems is to institutions, to governments, to corporations, give us your tricky problems mm-hmm. of rationing, essentially, of doing more with less, of dealing with a situation where scarcity is built in. Right. That's what this technology is really good at. It doesn't do anything. It doesn't produce anything. But what's really mm-hmm. good is that kind of allocating stuff or, or allocating and withholding stuff. Yeah. So, at scale you know at scale that's what it does right it, it handles recommendations on youtube at scale it can also handle recommendations on who should get a welfare benefit at right scale. right and this stuff is a lot more wow. uh, currently yeah. i would say a lot more invisible mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. it's certainly something i wasn't aware of at all before before reading your book that uh that there's more there's more to there's more to this ai situation than just you giving up your privacy of course giving up your privacy is a huge thing but i didn't realize how how much more kind of society on a societal level, how much, how much power it had um, to uh, not AI specifically, but yeah, those who are, those who are uh, creating the AI for their, for their benefit and uh, what appears to be our benefit, but just that, um, uh, that there's, there's so much going on at a societal level, sorry, is what I'm trying to say. And I, that's something I wasn't aware of at all before reading your book. 
I think, I th well, you know, if the book has, an, you know, has, has any kind of uh, impact or effect, I hope that's one. One of them, you know, to make, to, to help people look at it differently because mm -hmm. we are becoming, I mean, it's, it, the, the book, I suppose, in that way is well-timed because we are all becoming a lot more aware of, of this thing called AI mm -hmm. and those people who are paying a bit of attention I think are also starting to become pretty aware that it's maybe not all good news. You know, they're, mm. they're going, oh yeah, this stuff seems to be uh, redoing all the whole racism thing. You know, it seems to have some problems, right? So mm -hmm. uh, mm -hmm. there's definitely bias and discrimination going on. Sure. But but, but, he, but and, and and that's all true. You know, and, and mm -hmm. that is definitely yeah. That's actually you know a pretty core problem. Not easy right. to wave, not easy to wave away. But I think mm -hmm. what it's also doing is, um, it's coming up. You know. It, my reading of AI is not trying to be deterministic. It's not trying to say AI caused this. Mm -hmm. AI, mm -hmm. you know, by itself changes the world in this way. Mm -hmm. What we, we need to look at, I would say, with any technology is what else is going on at the same time? Mm -hmm. Who's it kind of, you know, you said it makes offers to us, right? Which it does, the consumer end, you know, like mm -hmm. you can unlock your phone with your face and this kind of stuff, you know? And we think it's incredible, but also pretty superficial. It's mm -hmm. making a lot of other offers in a lot of other ways at a time when a lot of um, uh, organizations, institutions, and, and sort of um, powerful people are in the position of having to make some, you know, having to face some challenges which they didn't face before, mm -hmm. um, you know, along, di along different fronts. And you can see that, that's, that that kind of pressure is resulting in, you know, quite a lot of changes in what we think of as, you know, democratic government. Mm -hmm. you know what we think of as uh you know liberal values in practice you know that seem to be being chucked overboard you know almost faster <laughs> than we can we can look at the moment right and and i think it would be it, you know it's, it's i just think it's important to consider what ai does alongside that mm -hmm. and mm -hmm. in what way it, it makes an offer to those kind of operations what way it might even amplify those operations it what might even intensify those operations right and that's that's really the answer the very belated answer to your second initial question which is why have a, an anti-fascist approach or why even mm -hmm. why even conceive of it mm -hmm. as something that needs to have what sounds like a kind of extreme response and i mean that sounds very over the top i mean what do you say mm -hmm. you know, hey as fascist i mean come on you know like you might might have a few problems and maybe it discriminates but you know like steady on basically <laughs> what i'm trying to say is that there's a there's a, a um a, you know an apparatus here which is the ai mm -hmm. but it's also the institutions using ai the kind of politics that looks to ai and the kind of it's that two-way thing you know ai is a solutionist technology mm -hmm. doesn't actually solve anything and, mm -hmm. and in fact what it does do because of the way it works is it tends to gloss over the underlying structural problems in it mm -hmm. and it, it, it is basically a kind of quick fix technology mm -hmm. now, here's a problem okay let's get enough data we'll throw some algorithms at it mm -hmm. you know, we'll find a way of of um, producing a kind of automated or semi-automated way of dealing with the situation and right. it's 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 a tech it it is offering a tech solution to things that really don't have a tech solution and and right now you know whether you look at uh refugee flows or climate change mm -hmm. that that's not the kind of solution we need basically in my opinion yeah oh yeah that's no, uh thank you thank you so much dan that's um it's a huge topic it's a mm -hmm. uh, <laughs> not only did i not realize how much i didn't know i didn't realize how huge it was either <laughs> and uh well, yeah. i'm hoping the book has that effect as well you know mm -hmm. i'd like to get this stuff on people's radar because mm -hmm. you know that you know people are concerned about this stuff and and, and those of us who you know I, I mean obviously i i work in and around the area so it's my my daily bread to some extent but i think the awareness of AI is, is there in society particularly around things like facial recognition and that's an important area sure. but I'm, I think it's much more to do with um, understanding its role in a generalized transformation at the moment, you mm -hmm. know, which is which is fairly crisis driven and crisis driven transformations carry their own risks because um, of the tendency, which is, you know, human and social and political as well as technical to uh, kind of to panic, you know, to sort of reach mm -hmm. for a quick fix, mm -hmm. especially if your motivation is to keep things the way they are. You know, right. not, to make, not to make any fundamental transformation, certainly not to lead to any sort of widespread redistribution of like who has a say in society. You know, if you mm -hmm. want to really just mainly keep things the way they are, but you're struggling with a general breakdown of, um, you know, authority or belief 
in the way things have been done before, mm-hmm. what you're just going to reach for the stuff that's to hand, you know, right. that might sort of fix yeah. it. And right now, you know, AI is one of those things. AI is very much to hand. Mm-hmm. If you're big enough and powerful enough. Uh, that's the thing too. Yeah. Yeah. There was a, a point in the book that um, I found very interesting as well about how um, AI is, or like the main, the main focus for AI is always to preserve the status quo. That's uh, that uh, it's it's it has something to do with the fact that AI is the all of the all of the knowledge that AI could possibly ever have is based on the past, and the past, the past as we know it up until today hasn't necessarily always been so equal, and um, and so AI is going to keep continuing to to keep that status quo uh, going. I think um, so. I think, yeah. I think that's you know I I I'd argue that I'd argue that it's, it's that's not a, you know that's not. A, that in some ways is a straightforward statement that actually goes right down to the roots of how AI approaches, you know, making its making its classifications. I wouldn't say decisions, mm-hmm. but making its classifications, drawing its boundaries. It can't do anything else. You know, it, it can only learn from the data. We all mm-hmm. know that. Um, mm-hmm. Now, there, there are some pretty cool things around. I mean, I personally love playing with some of the creative AI tools, you know, the sort of image generating tools and things like mm-hmm. this that, that have a kind of creative aspect to them, definitely. Mm-hmm. But that's not... Um, that's not a sort of innate creativity. That's more a sort of mix and match. That's a kind of collaging of what mm. came before. It can be very funny, but mm-hmm. it's not it's not um, original in the sense that, uh, you know, having an original solution to a problem by looking at it utterly differently can be. I mean, I really, I really do think, you know, uh, well, AI is all about correlations. It's all about pattern mm-hmm. finding. And that's one of the things mm-hmm. that also makes it fundamentally problematic. It's all about it because it's not even built on a, sort of causal model you know it's not even looking at why something happens it's just looking at what tends to happen at the same time that something happens mm-hmm, or mm-hmm. who happens to be in the room when something happens or who happens to be friends with somebody when something happens and we all know for a start that that's quite problematic you know that's mm-hmm. that's kind of um, guilt by association essentially right. in, in all kinds of dimensions um but but the biggest correlation that it has i think is as you say with the status quo you know, it, it's just a, a reproductive mechanism for the structures that we already have. Mm-hmm. And, um, one might argue, as I definitely would, that that's not adequate right now. Right, right. Yeah. Uh, I wanted to to kind of focus a little bit on, um, uh, there was a point in early on in your book where you talk about the difference between real intelligence and, um, p- and the performance of intelligence. You mentioned it a bit uh, at the beginning of this uh, episode today. Um, and I think when I first read that, I thought, oh, yeah, I experienced that a lot. Like when I try and get my Alexa to do something and she doesn't understand me. So I have to figure out the most clunky way of saying something and she'll finally do it. Or I just don't ask her to do those things anymore because I know that that's something she doesn't have in her wheelhouse. And uh, so I'll get my phone out instead. Um, but you give way scarier examples of this. Um, there was a um, an image, an image, uh, image algorithm that you described. I think it was called ImageNet, um, where uh, there, there's um, you say about how. AI, the way AI works is through categorization, um, and that um, this this uh, image software algorithm. Sorry for not probably not using the terms correctly, um, but they uh, it was uh, categorizing all these different images. And some examples you came out with were, for example, um, people ex- people escaping a flood, um, categorized as people on a beach, um, a crashing plane, categorized as a plane on tarmac, um, a soldier holding down a young boy as her as their family fights back. Labels labels that as people sitting on a bench together. Um, those are, I mean, those were harrowing examples. Um, and I just, uh, I mean, my my first uh, knee jerk was just like, surely this is an anomaly. Um, but uh, I'm I'm afraid to think that maybe it's not. <laughs> and uh, um, I guess uh, I guess I'm wondering, you know, how greatly concerned should we be about about this sort of um, performed intelligence over genuine intelligence? Sure. Uh, well, the short answer is probably very. <laughs> I mean, I, I, I can expand on that a bit. Uh, I mean, I, one thing I would say is that the book that I wrote, it's not um, an exploration of the idea of intelligence as such, I would say, although mm. maybe it has a kind of, maybe has a kind of social intelligence agenda in the sense that I am arguing for ways that would on the whole be better for the common good 
mm. for things to be done. So maybe mm-hmm. that's that's a kind of intelligence as well, a kind of emotional intelligence. I mean, I put a lot of emphasis on care, which is something we could talk about. Mm-hmm. But I'm not really speculating in a, in a sort of philosophical sense, as people do like to do quite a lot about whether a machine is really intelligent or not, and blah, mm-hmm. blah, during tests and everything like that. I'm not really mm-hmm. interested because my interest is what this stuff does in the world, okay. you know, what effects it has. Now, that that is relevant your question i mean those those images you know which which are examples that you know other people have highlighted what for starters what they're doing is really reflecting the fact that this sort of parroting effect this imitative activity of ai Mm -hmm. it has fundamentally no idea about the world okay it really doesn't right you know it doesn't have any ideas full stop right but certainly (laughs) you know it, it just has patterns derived from the world and it has no understanding of not just causality but context mm-hmm. it looks at those vivid you know it would look at that famous uh, image of a girl running away from from a napalm in vietnam you know mm-hmm. the, the sort of classic image of the 1960s mm-hmm. and you know we'll classify it as you know undressed girl running down a road or something it has no understanding of context wow. yeah or moments. Well, but you know that's from the point of view of the people who train the algorithm that's mm-hmm. still 99.8 percent accurate i mean right. you know it's it's in that way it's a success yeah in that way well exactly in that way it's a success yeah, yeah. absolutely absolutely yeah. and just to go back to your original point about this kind of performance idea because mm-hmm. what i think you were describing when you're talking about the alexa thing you were talking about in a way how alexa was altering your behavior mm-hmm. to fit mm-hmm. in to fit in with the alexa device itself or Definitely. the alexa operations right and i think what what i'd be what i have written about actually in the book as performative is the this broader tendency for this kind of stuff to produce the subjects it expects mm-hmm. you know so it will kind of uh, through its uh, sort of pervasive capacity to do this kind of classification mm-hmm. it shapes our daily life in ways that we well obviously we start to behave in the way that it expects an uber mm-hmm. driver and this mm-hmm. is well documented uber drivers have all sorts of um performative behaviors that they mm-hmm. understand the algorithm needs to see mm-hmm. even if that's mm-hmm. not how they would normally either drive that's not how they would normally react to passengers whatever it right. is so they, they they very well understand you know how they're being uh, judged and classified mm-hmm. and automated in an ongoing way and so they alter their behavior to do that but what i think is even more or, or what you can't really disentangle that from is um you know, if the experience of that is so pervasive, that mm-hmm. also becomes your actual lived experience. So you end up not just performing, but experiencing life as this subject that the AI expects very concretely, very concretely. There's a mm-hmm. the, Amazon uh, delivery drivers in the States have to have this thing called a Netrodyne camera array on mm-hmm. the back. Netrodyne is it's so it's 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 all that kind of stuff it's all that very clever stuff it's an ai camera system points backwards along the van points forwards and so on and so forth and it analyzes in real time the what's going on in the van now it's sold to the drivers as you know um you'll get extra kind of credit for driving safely mm-hmm. and you won't have to worry about false accusations of stealing parcels because you know the ai's got an eye in it so don't worry <laughs> you know all this kind of stuff you know of course the uh, drivers aren't fooled that anybody introduced <laughs> their benefit right but what, what does happen is the you know like a bit like the self-driving cars which uh, turns out have a tendency to kill people um right. these algorithms are not you know they they, they have quite strong limitations like your elixir right. and one of the things the netronine algorithm is that it, in its programming to define what is safe driving mm-hmm. and therefore uh how would you say inhibit driver's tendency perhaps to accelerate and pull up too close to the vehicle in front mm-hmm. it, it's a situation where somebody may pull rap in suddenly in front of you mm-hmm. as a well, this is what the drivers themselves report mm-hmm. they then get reported for unsafe driving so right. if you're driving along they're, they're doing what they do some idiot basically pulls in in front of them yeah yeah the ai goes you're a bad driver now of course they know this is rubbish uh, and they complain about it but mm-hmm. in the way these systems work the nitrodyne algorithm is seamlessly integrated into the bonus payment system Oh, it's right, right, right. Yeah, Ooh, yeah see, I can see where this is going. <laughs> yeah, <you can> <laughs> exactly, exactly, right. So it's all very automated. It's all very seen in all these words that um, people who uh, promote systems like AI uh, would uh, would elevate as values, right? This works right. seamlessly. Mm-hmm. Right? 
it works mm-hmm. at scale you know it's very efficient in the sense that it it works according to its own metrics very effectively right mm-hmm. so yeah, so what happens in the real world for those of us inhabiting the real world is drivers get their bonus payments docked in mm-hmm. ways that they then find very hard to appeal mm-hmm. because because this system is not really built with a let's say democracy in mind right you know? It's built with optimizing efficiency of deliveries in mind, you know, and if some sure. drivers end up as collateral damage in that, there's other, always other drivers. Uh, there's always mm-hmm. other Amazon workers. So, mm-hmm. and the thing I'm really trying to get at there, we, I mean, we can see that that's not necessarily fair or just. Mm-hmm. We can see that it starts to create a, a sort of, uh, in the same way with Uber drivers, a kind of um, an algorithmic miasma around you which might start to make you feel a little bit paranoid about what you do and how you do it mm-hmm, definitely yeah but the thing but the thing i think really is that you will end up with that as your actual lived experience i mean it doesn't matter yeah. what you think about your driving if ai thinks you're a bad driver in effect you are a bad driver and everyone right. else will react to you as if you're a bad driver so you will start to experience it as if you are a bad driver you know wow. this becomes yeah. this becomes actually constructive of what they say like to say in kind of academia land you know constructive of our subjectivity it's like how we experience life and that, that's just you know one amongst many examples of how this stuff is filtering out into daily life yeah well yeah i saw um in your book you give quite a lot of uh, examples yeah of that exact uh um man just uh the kind of like a you paint a picture of like workers who are living a an anxious, exhausted uh, life with a kind of like a, a data hungry panopticon, uh, always around them, always watching, always always penalizing. Um, does uh, and also because because uh, you're you're talking about an anti fascist resistance and uh, and uh, kind of talking about the uh, um, of uh, yeah resisting the the veer into authoritarianism or even fascism. That was that when I started reading about those those stories there with the with the always exhausted, always anxious workforce. That was the the first time where I started seeing like, oh, this is this actually sounds like this. If 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 allowed to continue to progress, this this is this is where I noticed um, that it appears to possibly maybe potentially veer into uh, authoritarianism and or maybe fascism um i guess i was just wondering if you could talk to us a bit about that uh, um if that if that's like a sign i suppose or even just like a the building blocks of going into yeah exactly building blocks yeah no, i mean i think that's that's i'm glad to hear that it has not you know i mean obviously we've been focusing a bit on the sort of more dystopic side of things mm-hmm. so far in the conversation mm-hmm. and, and, and i think that's fair enough you know i mean obviously this book is meant to be uh, a sort of warning as much as a rallying cry and, mm. and, and i think i would i make that association the same one as you i look at the effect on workers and workplaces um both in the production of ai itself and in more broadly what it's actually used for and i say yeah that that's pretty bad and i think it's um it's a source of i mean it should be a source of real regret to all of us that mm-hmm. our times most advanced technology which i think ai has a good claim to actually you know it's very mm-hmm. sophisticated it's very clever in that sense right mm-hmm. and it certainly uses a lot of resources mm-hmm. so you know what why have we ended up in a situation where our most advanced technology is actually putting the conditions of let's just think about work for a second is taking is is, is enabling a reversal of working conditions by 100 years mm-hmm. to a time before all of the protections that people had to fight so hard for in terms of their the conditions yeah. of their own working life you know why, why is right. it that why is it that this incredibly advanced future-faced technology which in movies is portrayed as the sci-fi future mm-hmm. is actually a time machine into victorian working relations that that's right. that's that seems you know that that at least is worth questioning yeah uh, and and you know on your uh, specific question about well is this a kind of symptom or, or a sort of uh indicator i would say that it's a direct indicator of a uh, slide towards authoritarianism mm-hmm. in one simple sense which is that historical fascism uh has always been used in different ways by the powers that be Mm-hmm. There are a few occasions when fascism itself, fascist movements, fascist political parties actually took over. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we're actually living in those times again. Right. You know, I, I think if you look at governments in places like, um, well, at least Hungary, Poland, mm-hmm. uh, maybe Brazil as well, mm-hmm. you know, increasingly, you would say, OK, the, these are governments with actually fascistic elements in them. But most of the time, fascism is a, is a kind of um, it's, it's, it's a foot soldier 
of the status quo. Right. And that's brought to play under certain conditions when things are sort of coming apart a bit. Mm-hmm. And it's hard to maintain maintain control using the usual uh, sort of democratically legitimized methods. Mm-hmm. You, need, you know, the um, status quo, that the elements of the status quo feel that they need to reach for something a little bit extracurricular. Mm-hmm. That's that's where fascism comes in. Mm-hmm. And it's always been used against the workers. Right. You know, historical fascism. It's always anti-worker. So, so at the very least, if you're looking at a technology that seems to be... Hmm, incredibly anti-worker you might say well that's an affordance you know that's that's mm-hmm. a capacity that it could have mm-hmm. to align with other agendas but i just i just want to also short circuit for a moment because it came up <laughs> yeah, of course just just to broaden it beyond momentarily beyond the beyond the workplace mm-hmm. which i'm sure we'll get to anyway but um and make a sort of direct link with what everybody would probably recognize as the reality of of sort of far right agendas, let's say, mm-hmm. and let's look at the recent what the, what's called the Dobbs decision. You know, the overturning of Roe versus Wade in the USA. Right. You know, the the, the um, Ill- making illegal of the right to abortion mm-hmm. in, in the USA. Right. Mm-hmm. That that's clearly a far right agenda. That's clearly a long term result of of planning by political elements that are in the far right. Mm-hmm. But put that alongside the capacities of AI. You know, if we're const- if we're talking about constructed so okay just to be a bit jargony from constructed subject positions you know like who we are who we're seen as who mm. the system sees us as mm-hmm. and you're looking at the capacities of systems like ai which absolutely specialize in inference right they do prediction mm-hmm. if they look at you rich kemp and they say you know are you likely to be the kind of person that leaves your workplace within the next six months. That's what human resources systems Mm -hmm. using AI now do, right? They put everyone's data through a system and they look for the weakest link. They look for the people that like to leave or something like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Check, check. I say, check your HR system. And this stuff is, this stuff is like now as, you know, in AI time, as old as the Hills, it's almost one of the first applications of this stuff. Yeah, no. So, you know, again, another fairly invisible one to most of us. Yeah. Right? We don't know we're being sort of <laughs> yeah. rated and, and, and assessed. You know? And um, I mean, the poor young people, they know that because when they apply for a job, they usually have to do it through some kind of AI system because they have right. to submit a video to some stupid AI powered app to even mm-hmm. get the chance to have a, you know, um, an interview. And, and again, you know, they have to perform in certain ways, blah, blah, blah. I mean, it's all mm-hmm. very, very much part of the same thing. But just to go back to the discussion about abortion, You've got a situation in the states now where uh, being being you know being inferred to be pregnant, mm-hmm. right? not because you've reported pregnancy to anyone, but twenty years ago the Target chain store was able to predict. This is using data analytics, but pre the kind of AI we've got now, which is a hundred mm-hmm. times more powerful. Mm-hmm. They were able to identify women who were pregnant from patterns of sales of things like cotton buds and lotion and what have you, and that that was a very early, very <laughs> Yeah, incredibly powerful AI that's sucking up data, like you said at the beginning, from every aspect of everyday life. Mm. You know, no problem a lot of the time in, in in coming up with an inferred category of pregnancy. Now, whether or not that's 100 accurate, it doesn't matter. It becomes a category in itself. Mm-hmm. And I just wanted to get to the point I'm trying to get to in a very long-winded way mm-hmm. is that is now a potential crime scene, right? In the USA, oh, yeah. that's a crime mm-hmm. scene, right? That's mm-hmm. a being pregnant is is a sort of pre a state of pre-crime in the States, if your pregnancy doesn't come to term in a way that right. gets also recorded by the system, right? So you've, and that, that, well, yeah. so that implication of AI is wholly embedded with um, the politics of USA, which is mm. this Christian far-right um, resurgence, mm-hmm. which is why I, which is why I guess I'm writing a book, which has a fairly um, intense sounding subtitle of having an mm-hmm. anti-social. Mm-hmm. I'm saying we, we not only can't ignore these kind of implications, whether it's in work or outside of work, we should really be doing something about it. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, that's a well, that's such a powerful uh, phrasing of it as well. Of uh, that, that's a that's a that's a crime scene because you're not. Yeah, if you're not coming to terms with your pregnancy, however, you know, for what for whatever you know, I mean, people people yeah. should and uh, yeah, be able to you know do whatever the, do whatever they want and or need. Um, but if you're not following following that trajectory then in terms of the ai which is a tool for the state which is a which is the institution which has control of the ai they um then yeah then then you're not you're not 
you're not doing that process correctly and therefore you will be penalized and or you know worse you'll, you'll be penalized maybe the or oh, let's look at the uber driver data did somebody take you across state lines i mean yeah you know, right the, the implications of uh, oh you create a web of, aren't they? Yeah. yeah create a web of criminals possibly yeah. in your wake yeah hmm. yeah wow um uh i also wanted to talk about um the the hopeful side because you spend a, yeah. you spend a good a good chunk let's of your that. book <laughs> you spend a good chunk of your book on in the second half of your book hmm. talking about um what what can be done and also what is being done right now mm-hmm. um for example uh you use the you use the example of um workers who are who rise who are rising up against the injustices uh, within their own institution um yeah. i was wondering if you could talk to us about about that please sure thanks yeah well thank you know thank goodness we got to the bit about what can we do about it <laughs> and i mean that's a that's a big part of the book as well you know like i i draw most of my thinking from reading other thinkers if you know what i mean and mm-hmm. most of those are in academia one way or another and you know i have um you know i i rely on people's insights and and critique you know which we love mm-hmm. to call critique now but the, where i kind of part company is that um a lot of that critique is, inc- is is very sophisticated you know and i think it has genuine insights but often tends to stop at the bit where it's it comes to okay what are we going to do about it in practical terms you know what are we, mm-hmm. we actually push back i mean it's something about academia something about the way the whole thing is structured is that you usually get the end of a paper or even a book and people go people about it. i'm not trying to point to anyone in particular but the, mm-hmm. the the text itself will often say something like well you know and this really needs to be studied further or, or um you know or maybe um you know this is clearly wrong and doesn't fit with you know the way liberal values work or something like that. Mm-hmm. i'm very con- i was very concerned when i read this book uh for it not to be a dystopian book for it not just to be mm-hmm. critique either really i wanted to talk about okay what do we do about it mm-hmm. and as you say I, I, I that's where the second half of the book and i try to break it down into a few stages really because i think that ai has deep roots you know ai is something mm-hmm. we could look at as a kind of mirror in a way it's like a focusing mirror you know a bit like those kind of um, something that focuses radio signal or focuses the sun it's a it mm-hmm. takes in everything that's there right you know and sort of focuses it down into kind of laser like spot you know mm-hmm. but the so so we can't just look at the you know we just can't look at the focusing mirror we have to look at where all that stuff is coming from right uh, and and ai you can trace ai and I, I tried to do that a bit and say well where does it you know why do we even give this stuff any credibility given its obvious flaws which i do work through in some length you know in the first half of the book mm-hmm. uh, and I'd say it's important to do that though yeah. to, to give us yeah. not only what is ai but what are the problems before we before you start talking right. about the hopes and solutions or, or uh, thanks yeah yeah, I, I tried to make it that way because because also I'm trying to draw some very particular lines. I'm not trying to be mm-hmm. hand wavy about it. I'm trying to say, mm-hmm. okay, this is exactly how AI works. This is exactly how, AI, uh, how people are using it. And mm-hmm. therefore, that's why we need this kind of uh, intervention. You know, mm-hmm. It's not, not mm-hmm. saying, okay, we need, you know, fairer society, blah, 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 right? It's mm-hmm. like, okay, this is specifically the way it works. So, for example, mm-hmm. you know, AI derives its uh, uh, some of its claims to authority from science it's not a science right. it's not scientific mm-hmm. um but it does do some of the same as in thing. ai isn't scientific well yeah most practitioners would believe that they're doing at least computer science okay, okay which is a mm-hmm. particular term but they would they would also believe that you know the work that's being done okay maybe it's not um fully objective i think people mm-hmm. would recognize that but they would say it, you can you can sort of calibrate its objectivity to some extent it is mm-hmm. empirical it's working on data you know mm-hmm. you can make um, estimates of accuracy you can in fact um quite a lot of practitioners would say you know the fact that there are biases in ai actually gives us a chance to statistically correct those biases so some mm-hmm. people will say that the empirical approach um of ai is actually more progressive in some way than 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 the status quo um mm-hmm. that's a particular kind of thing so but but I would say like just a, you know in a kind of broader sense we're all very um, inculcated with the idea that something that is based on data something mm-hmm. that, is, that does uses statistics for analysis something mm-hmm. that you know um, is done by experts um, and draws its language a lot of the time from the sort of uh, the language of science mm-hmm. as some kind of authority some kind of ability to what what AI is sold as is like uh, you know okay you and me we might see um certain phenomena we might see certain things happening but what ai is doing is drawing in this vast amount of data and it's mm. able to see patterns that we can't see right able to provide insights at a level that we 
that sing, you know, individuals can't or maybe even mm-hmm. institutions can't. And that's incredibly powerful. And that's a kind mm-hmm. of, that's the same kind of claim to authority that science makes. Mm-hmm. Now, I do think science has its problems, but I think it's, you know, uh, AI certainly isn't a science. And these claims are like 100% spurious. But nevertheless, it get, gets some traction off that. Right. And the good thing, right, get the good bit, right? What we can do is say, okay, well, when people are questioning that kind of uh, technical authority, when, when, when people's own lived experience, people's own understanding of their own lives is overridden, you know, without question, right. you, know, what, you know, like epistemically, you know, like there are plenty of examples of how people have tackled that. The feminist movement is a great example of that. You know, mm-hmm. feminism was developed in a society where women's word literally didn't count and the male worldview right. was the only view that counted mm-hmm. and this understanding of this kind of epistemic injustice is uh, you know we can just take that and say okay well actually you know what ai is doing epistemic injustice mm-hmm. so let's look a little bit at what the feminist movement did to tackle that you know let's look a little bit at how they came together you know to collectively validate you know, when alter- alternative understandings of particular situations, mm-hmm. you know, in ways that asserted their own right to have some say about the conditions of their own lives. And it's really the same. You know, that's a generalized statement. And and so my first way of trying to tackle AI is to look at different ways of saying, well, how can we look at the specific, not just injustice, actually, but specific kind of violences that this thing is, this, mm-hmm. this apparatus is prone to do mm-hmm. and look at, um, historical parallels and say how can we learn from the way people have dealt with these kind of um generalized injustices problems and, and sort of violences in the past and, right. and, and there is a work a really good worker example actually very very related to technology which i quote in the book uh, which is very well known which is called the lucas plan mm-hmm. and the Luca, yeah the lucas plan that was the um uh was a, it was a an arms company it was a really, really big arms company mm-hmm. in the uk for for, for decades um, but it started to it started to implode in, back in the seventies, mm-hmm. and the workers there faced faced with you know imminent unemployment, mm-hmm. um, said, okay, wait a minute, you know we have loads of skills, we have some really good tech. What right. else could we do with it? And so they got together as what I would call workers' councils, basically mm-hmm. you know, bottom up, self organised. Not just that, they 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 took what they knew and they tried to construct something sort of basically profoundly different they came up with their own innovations based on the sort of technologies that they had and um actually it's really weird because they were well, not really weird but very forward looking because the kind of things they came up with were a lot of the kind of things that people talk about now in terms of you know solar power and hybrid electric vehicles and all this kind of this right. is that back in 1976 i think <laughs> well that um, was uh, yeah forward thinking Forward thinking, yeah, you know, but maybe, you know, it's not, maybe not such a surprise. I mean, that, that time was the beginnings of the environmental movement. It was the, mm-hmm. it was the kind of uh, first, you know, that, whatever it is, second wave feminism. And, uh, you know, there were a lot of ideas around that, that these workers were picking up on and saying, you know what, this stuff that we have mainly used, it's, it's, a, it's an arms industry, right? But, you know, we could use this stuff differently, but we have to mm-hmm. approach things completely differently. That, that, you know, how we define what the problems even are has to come from right. a different place. Mm-hmm. And that's really where I'm, get, I'm getting to with the, the, the sort of, okay, what do we do about AI? It's mm-hmm. like, okay, mm-hmm. it's, you can't just take, you know, in the same way you couldn't just take a fighter plane and say, okay, how do I use a fighter plane for good? <laughs> you know, it's like, <laughs> well, you probably, I don't know, could you use it to sow seeds very quickly across fields? I'm not sure, but <laughs> basically it's not great, is it? You know, so let's not just take the fighter plane. Let's, let's t- you know, take a step back, not abandoning necessarily all the stuff that we've learned through doing this, but say we need to start from a completely different place and how we construct the mm-hmm. problems, who has a say, how we account for what's going on. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and, and really to have that account- accounting as well, to have that idea that, you know, when we look at a technology and when we look at implementing a technology, at the forefront of what we're thinking about is what social effects are this going to have? Not right. how efficient is it? Not who does it make money for? Not right. what, what problem does it allege to solve? But simply <laughs> what effect is it going to have on the majority of people? Right. And the, the structures that we need to start with, in, in the same way as the feminists came together as collectively as groups of people to figure out their own problems, or the workers in the Lucas Arms Company, they came together. Mm-hmm. To get, you know, I'm 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 suggesting that same kind of model. That's a uh, yeah. That sounds. I mean, it sounds like a much a much better future uh, ahead of us. In in, in just like um, kind of 
having we have we have this technology we've created this technology a lot of the time we've created this technology off the back of the workers um uh also off the back of the marginalized people who you know as we we don't say say we don't understand a, a subsection of people uh they've been mar marginalized over and over and over and uh the fix that we have for that is uh more data surveillance more more privacy infringement more uh uh, more dignity infringement and uh and here you're you're saying uh in the in the second half of the book all the way to the conclusion about how yeah the the those people who are being left behind um those people who are um being uh um closed you know boxed boxed out of um out of uh progression um those are the people who we should be we should be getting getting them in with uh yeah with people's councils with workers councils um yeah, for both for both work, but also institutionally, right? With uh, with like in, in improving our cities, improving our countrysides, improving the healthcare of of uh, of subsections of people who always get left behind or who have um uh like you know assumptions of um healthcare assumptions, sorry, put forced upon them. Um, all of those things require at the at the very root of it, they need the the people who are being affected. They they need to be. They need to have a seat at the table, as is the phrase of our day. Yeah, I think you've absolutely nailed it. They need to have a seat at the table. And what's more, what they have to say is a vital corrective. Right. You know, it's not not that these we, we're expecting, you know, people who have all the experience you laid out. I mean, that 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 stuff, that kind of experience is so damaging in its own right. You know, and the, 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 we're not going to say lay it responsibility on on people to say, well, hey, you're marginalized. Why don't you come and sort out society straight away? <laughs> you know, it's not like that. It's that the having them as having all of these different experiences mm. as equally valuable parts of you know a discussion that is direct and democratic and inclusive and so on mm -hmm. is a starting point and um you know that's again the message from uh it's, it's the message from the feminist movement it's the message that i think of the anti-racist movement it's mm -hmm. the message actually of of those movements that have from a very sensible and considerate position have critiqued the way science and technology has been done mm -hmm. they've all said something very similar now um, you know i try to connect that very directly with ai specifically and say okay why is this very relevant to ai not just sort of nice utopian thinking which i believe it is and there's nothing wrong with that <laughs> but what is it specifically speaking to ai and i think well again in the uh, you know the kind of neat summary you just came up with you know, one of uh, AI's um, unfortunate tendencies to me would mm -hmm. be uh, its tendency to be able to sort of essentialize groupings, you know, mm -hmm. and, and sort of the way it sort of solves problems by assigning things into rather fixed groups. And that being an abstract thing that it does, because mm -hmm. it's just a form of computing, but likely to click very neatly with people who are looking to to well perpetuate problems really rather than solve them mm -hmm. by mm -hmm. by fitting entities and people into in groups out groups mm -hmm. and that that is really something we should all be extremely alarmed about i mean you don't mm -hmm. need to you don't even need to see the idea of refugees being deported to rwanda to understand that in groups and out groups are now a matter of life and death in our society mm -hmm. you know people who you know uh, people who have pre-existing conditions and therefore should not should basically be allowed to die from covid i mean that's a very <laughs> bad out group to be in you know and that's there's so many injustices enrolled in that mm -hmm. and very hard to unroll them at that moment mm -hmm. i as a system that doesn't care about fixing that stuff it just cares about it well, doesn't care about anything but it's just set to optimize mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. the interests of the people who defined what the problem was so i'm really just kind of doing a long-winded footnote to what you said mm -hmm. the important thing is no i love it the, the interests that you're talking talking about are part of a, you know, not just not just an inclusive process. I would say. I mean, it is inclusive, mm -hmm. but mm -hmm. I would say, if, if I was to characterize the things that AI does, the, the, what it intensifies, the stuff that's already there that it intensifies is it's just kind of carrying on, what is a very very long process of enclosure. Right. It's taking, you know, it's just carrying on that long process of grabbing and holding on to and pushing out you know which which is which shapes pretty much everything of the societies that we currently inhabit also on a global level in different ways and so i think the potential of, is there to say is to start from a different perspective to mm -hmm. approach technology in a different way 
Mm-hmm. So, okay, can technology be part of a process of putting things back into common good or just mm-hmm. this idea of the commons? Can technology, rather than being an extractive thing, uh, rather than being a thing based on exclusion and, and sort of zoning and boundary and redlining of this, can we construct our technology systems alongside our, our people systems, our way of being together? Can we put yeah. these things together in a way that actually extends the amount of things that we do to support the interdependency, the vulnerability that is what we people really depend on. All of the stuff that goes on, all of this technology and the science and the business and everything else, mm-hmm. it all depends on this invisible and cared for and mostly, mostly targeted layer of mm-hmm. people who at some point or another look after each other. Mm-hmm. They look after each other at the most vulnerable moments. And that is mostly other people doing that you yeah. know, above and beyond what the system provides for. That's really right. the base layer of society. And I'm, I'm suggesting an approach to technology that acknowledges that and said, well, actually, care, you know, mutual care, mm-hmm. interdependence, mm-hmm. Um, put, put sort of tactically, would call it solidarity. But these things are, um, I would say, the valuable countermeasures to, to where things are currently heading and... I'm, I am raising the question. I, I also finish with a lot of questions. I don't have any answers <laughs> by a long chalk again. Wouldn't claim. But I think <laughs> my question to technology is: What can you do for that? How can <laughs> you help that? Can, <laughs> and AI, you know, AI can AI help a social arrangement based on the common good? <laughs> and, and at the moment, in the book, I'm saying the way we've got AI constructed absolutely doesn't. It cannot. The way it's right. built, it won't do that. So, so let's think again. I love that. I think that's a. Uh... Uh, a lovely uh, note to end on as well, uh, Dan. Cool. But, uh, yeah. Um, so thank you so much for, for talking with me today, for coming on the Transforming Society podcast. It's been an absolute pleasure to talk to you. Oh, thanks for asking such great questions and also summing up the agenda of the book there so neatly towards the end. And, and actually, you know, the book is about AI, but it is also about transforming society. So it seems like a good to have. Yeah. yeah. And uh, where, can, uh, where can we find you, uh, presumably online? Yeah, I mean, well, I've got a, a website where I tend to post stuff sporadically at danmcquillan.io. Uh, but generally, I'm on Twitter sort of, you know, ranting about various things related, <laughs> related to AI and transforming society. So yeah. <laughs> is that, that also uh, at Dan McQuillan? It's to this. Yes, exactly. At Dan McQuillan. Great. OK, I'll uh, give you a follow uh, direct, directly after this. And nice. um, uh, I should also uh, let people know where to find the book. So uh, yes. resisting AI an anti-fascist approach to artificial intelligence by Dan McQuillan is available at Bristol university press. And, uh, please, uh, it's a, it's a, it's a brilliant book. It's, uh, it's so interesting. And I, I loved reading it and, uh, I, I particularly love talking to you today about it, Dan. Uh, so please, yeah, go pick up a copy and, uh, um, and uh, learn and have your have your mind blown. <laughs> and let, let's continue the conversation. I mean, I'm putting this stuff out there because I really, really want to connect to people, connect to people who care about this stuff, and hear what other mm-hmm. people have got to say. Because it's only it's only together that we're going to come up with any ways to 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 improve the situation. So I'm really I'm out there. I'm not I'm not hard to find. Come and mm-hmm. find me. Uh, let, let's let's talk about this. That's great. Thank you so much, Dan. Thank you very much. <laughs>